even though I'm technically early, that song all by myself is like raging through my brain. Cheers. Just coffee. Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Hello, and thank you for taking a seat at our table. This is the beginning of a new series we're starting all about schooling. And since everyone's either gone back to school or is going back to school soon, we thought it'd be a good time to do this. Joining us at the table tonight is someone really cool for me. It's Jesse's first ever special education teacher. So he had her for a year and a half in preschool. And I'm really excited to talk to her. And really, I think it's a good way to start this series kind of at the start at preschool, early intervention, all that jazz. So with me at the table tonight, I have Tabitha. Hello. Jen. Hi, everyone. Kim. Hi. Rachel. Hey, everybody. And Katie. Hello. So Katie, do you want to give a little introduction of yourself and what you do and all that jazz? Sure. Uh, My name is Katie. I have been a special education teacher for preschool for 10 years. I've worked in preschool for 12 years or maybe 13. Mm, Math. That's why I'm in preschool. Um, I have been a teaching coach. I have been a classroom special education teacher. I've also done Child Find, which is the evaluation team that identifies students with disabilities. Outside of work, I am married to a firefighter. I have a five-year-old daughter, and I love trashy reality TV and crocheting. Really I was like, yes, my people, when I read your bio. <laughs> I <laughs> love Trash TV. TV. So it, it, it really, it really does it's feel so... like you're just a notch above those people. It's great. Yeah, it's like I'm great. doing yeah. fine. Yeah, look at me. I didn't slap any other women today. I'm good. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't have my first drink till 11. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> didn't flip a table. It's all fine. Speak for yourself, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what are you currently teaching? Are you in a preschool right now, Katie? Well, I am currently the coach for the special education preschool teachers in our district. Okay. Mm. Is that better? No. (laughs) Am I being honest? No. Now I just deal with adults all the time. And you know, adults are really open to shifting their mindset. (laughs) (laughs) So flexible. So flexible. (laughs) Nobody's died yet, including myself. Let's start with the importance of early education, especially for kids like ours on the spectrum or who have disabilities. I know for a lot of people, even when I first started, the idea, because our kids are a little more fragile, a little more guarded by us because we know they're more of their can'ts than cans, because especially at that time, that's all you're told. And so I remember the idea of like sending Jesse to preschool, especially how they wanted me to a year earlier than I was planning on was really scary. Can you tell like the moms out there who have little ones, what's the importance of the early intervention and the early education? Um, I think that for a long time, we, we leaned into like research and it was like, oh, if you go to preschool, there's all this research that there's all these future benefits. Frankly, there's a lot of that that they are saying might be not as true nowadays. Um, I think that something that I like to focus on is something that I don't know that there's a measurement for, which is just you're you're learning how to be at school. Like it's not necessarily that you're learning all of these academics and all these things, but you're learning like what what is it to leave your mom? What is it to come and, and answer to another adult? For a lot of kids, what is it to be in a room full of 12 kids that are the same age as you? Um, learning how to like sit down on a carpet. 
if you don't do those kinds of things at home, line up at a door, like nobody's doing that in their house unless you have 12 kids, but like, it's just those kinds of things. And then I think for myself, just as a special education advocate, especially for at least in the school district I work in, it's inclusion. And it's at this age, we know this about a lot of things, race, all of the things, kids don't see difference as something that's negative. So when you can start them in these situations where they're all kind of mixed together, it's just something that you're teaching. Yeah, they learn different. They're still learning this. They're still learning that, just like you're still learning this. Like I think about my own five-year-old who is typically developing, whatever that means. And this summer, she's been coming with me and she's been attending an inclusive preschool summer school down the hall. And this is the first time that she's been in an intentionally inclusive environment. And it's been really nice for me to see because I'm used to being the person who comes in and, you know, a lot of the typical kids are like, oh yeah, so-and-so's over there waiting for you. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. But it's interesting to me to have my own kid come to me and ask me questions like, well, why is so-and-so learning differently? Why, why do they do this? And being able to have that conversation with her, it's so important because I'm then that person that's giving her the perspective that like, yeah, it's just different. It's not a big deal. It's different. How can you help them? How can they help you? You know, how are you still making friends? And I think that's just so important at this age because they're so young and they don't know that different, like different doesn't need to be negative. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that too, because the preschool that you met, Jessia, was inclusive, which was nice. It also helped me see because he was my first child. I hadn't seen him around peers. So as hard as it was to see him around typical peers, it also was like, oh, a gauge because you know, when we came in, I mean, I don't remember, we were given this kind of like unsure- yep. Yep. Maybe he's autistic. Maybe uh-huh. Because of the social piece. Yeah. And uh-huh. then when uh-huh. I, I was like, oh, okay. I remember like one of the first few days I walked up and there was a little girl. Her mom was on the phone with her dad and she handed the little girl the phone to talk. And I was like, oh my gosh, couldn't mm-hmm. even imagine at that point in time. Like he was very limited on language. And I was like, oh. And also I felt so much pressure on myself. Like, taking him to a school where other people were like trained on how to help him and to figure stuff out with me was like such a relief. Like, I think I gave everyone like $50 gift cards. The first year. You were very, you were very sweet. <laughs> because I was like, oh my, I felt so much pressure. And I don't know if teachers realize that like as a parent and especially someone who's not trained in this area, you feel like the weights on your shoulder, like you have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Why can't my kid do this? Why can't my kid do that? And then she have other people as a team like, oh yeah, we'll figure out. I was like, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> like it's so hard at first. And you got stuck with me, who I'm I'm probably an over communicator. <laughs> Cause I came to you wait like two weeks in and I was like, so it actually is autism. We're gonna just carry on. <laughs> I very much appreciate it. I've been meaning to thank you, Katie, yeah. for a very, very long time. Just because we're at this point of the conversation for the table for five, you probably have heard in the first or second series. Jamie Ramos talking about Wonder Katie. (laughs) Like, you know, we've talked a lot as a podcast. All five of us have autistic kids. Some of us have multiple diagnoses. Like there's all these different things. And we all were waiting for some sort of gifted Katie to say in like the, the seat of my car or in the corner of the hallway, girl, get a grip. This is what's going on. We were waiting. And so like, to our understanding, we know that teachers traditionally don't say, uh, like people have observation and data collection in their position, not necessarily what that is, yep. but we all just need someone to say it. And Katie, thank you. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's been a big, 
you know, I, I started in this, I'm 36 now. I started, you know, over a decade ago and I remember being young and, and not having kids. And I remember being in grad school and I was working as a paraeducator in a preschool classroom at the time. And I was new to all of it. I have an undergrad degree in speech language and audiology and thought I was going to go that route. And I took a year off because I couldn't afford grad school. And my mom said, oh, go work for the school district because she worked on the school board. And I was like, okay. And I thought, oh, I'll go to an elementary school. I like older kids. No, I do not. <laughs> Real God, I ended up in preschool. I don't do over five. That's, I always joke, that's the title of my upcoming autobiography. I don't do over five. <laughs> Please leave me when you go to kindergarten. I will love you from afar. But uh, I think about, you know, being in grad school and I had a student in my classroom. I was just the para, you know, just the para. I hate saying that, but and I remember thinking like, somebody needs to say this to his mom. Like I just started classes and I don't have, my, my aunt is a special education teacher in New Mexico. So I've always been around um, high school age kids with disabilities. And so I knew like there's, there's something here and it, and it was autism and nobody was saying anything to this mom. And I remember being in grad school and, and I pulled the special education teacher aside in my classroom and I said, why don't you say that? And she said, oh, we just don't do that in, in school. And I said, well, why? Because this changes fundamentally how they approach school. So you need to be having a conversation. You know, you're not saying you're giving them a medical diagnosis, but you need to say something. And I just remember I, I went into this job once I got my license and it was like, I will never let a parent leave me not knowing that. And especially when I worked on the evaluation team, it was really important to me. And, and there were a lot of times like you guys know, like it's, it's very hard to hear. And when you're the initial person saying it to someone, that moment of grief, that moment of anger, I wanted that to be me because I'm this nice lady you're going to see two or three times. Then you can go and be with your special education team and really start the work and be mad at me. Like, hold that at me because you don't know me. And even still, like somebody like Jamie, it was like, okay, we are going to have this long term relationship. We're going. It's two weeks in. I'm going to just tell her. Yeah. Because you know, a lot of times, teachers, like you said, with the data and all that, we are having the conversation and it's not okay to have the conversation and not include the parents. Oh, oh it's, amen, it's always Katie, say it loud, say it yeah. it's all it seems like it's always in the back like we know that it's being said without the words actually like being said that's yeah it's like a secret and you spend all this time wondering and mm -hmm. no one outright like speaking yeah. the words and we've talked about this before but we don't think it necessarily has to be like your kid has autism but maybe it can be you should probably seek a evaluation from a professional mm -hmm. who can give you a view of, mm -hmm. you know, something is or isn't, you yeah. know, that's all it would have to be. And a lot of times it's just like in these reports and it's kind of mm -hmm. like mystery language. And you're like, mm -hmm. what are you saying? Just please yeah. tell me yeah. what you're saying. Well, and then also when you do, when you find out that like, I mean, you find, you feel dumb, like you feel like, oh, everyone else knew. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, so child find, which she was talking about before is where you're referred to kind of to start with, they refer you to your school district. So we went in the first time and they were like, no, we don't think it's autism. We think he just has a speech delay. And we're like, cool. So then they said, call us at three if you're still worried. So I called at three because I was worried about his language. I was like, in my head, I was like, ah, it's not autism. I just took that in and I was like, ran with it. <laughs> And then when we went in when he's three, just uh, with the pathologist, just to evaluate his language, he couldn't even like sit down and all these things I didn't realize he should need to do. Although I joke on the podcast, Katie, that one of the pictures they first showed him was a hanger and they wanted him to say hanger. Oh God, I hate that test. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I haven't taught my kid what a mm -hmm. hanger is. <laughs> and tweezers. The other one is tweezers. Oops. For the record, if you would have come to the other location, you would have been evaluated by me. <laughs> just yeah. for the record. <laughs> 
And so at that point he was like, I think we need to do more testing. And mm-hmm. then through. And I was like, it was the same exact guy. Mm-hmm. I was like, you're the one who told me he wasn't autistic. Like mm-hmm. and we went through the whole process and we got this back and forth and we basically voted to decide whether or not we were going to decide yeah. if he was autistic or not, because they couldn't come to an answer because mm-hmm. he could say some words, he could do some of this. And he just fell in this weird area. Mm-hmm. And, and no one at that point sat me down either. And they were I wish they would have been like, hey, seek out a child psychologist and go that way. Mm-hmm. Because we go to the child psychologist and they're way, they're like, oh, severely autistic, yeah. like way the other way. And I was like, oh, so we, just no answers. And then it was just so nice to have you see him around other kids and just, because I was just, I remember talking to you that exact day and I was like, yeah, we just can't get a clear answer. And you're like, it's autism. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I was really sad to hear it mm-hmm. by that point. No, it was hard to hear, but I was like, it was just in a nonchalant way that I was like, okay, I can't even kind of be mad about this. It's mm-hmm. just what it is. And the fact you didn't make a big deal of it. You're like, it's okay. It's, it's autism. not his whole, it's not the definition of who he is. Like, it's just helps to explain how he learns, how he functions in the world. I think a big part that is another reason why I see something is is kind of the two-sided coin with autism that we deal with right now, that there's a massive overdiagnosis. Mm-hmm. And we get so many kids that come into the school system and they're like, their parents are like, here, I have this diagnosis. And it's like, that's nice. You can keep that medical diagnosis at home. Like, that's not what this is. And it's not what we see at school. And autism doesn't come and go between your home and school. Like, that's been really hard. And then kind of what you were sharing that there's such a disconnect. And I, I don't know where we even begin to figure that out between what happens in like the doctor medical world and what happens in school districts and even between school districts, between schools, like everybody has a different thought around it. And we used to give the ADOS, which is the clinical test for autism that they use medically as well. Yes, he did that. We lost the funding for the team. And so we don't typically do that anymore in the school district. And I think that it's a great disservice to our community because you could take that report and just say, here, doctor. This is a very thorough ADOS completed, and then it can kind of push you, you know, to the front of that two-year waiting list sometimes to see a child psychologist and get a medical diagnosis and then get access to the insurance and all the things. It's it just, we really need to find a way to make that more interconnected because it's it's doing a disservice to families. That's the thing I was going to say is I, a lot of us didn't know or don't know at mm-hmm. the beginning that a school diagnosis is separate from medical diagnosis. They're two different things, and you should seek out both. In theory, one, I, in my opinion, I think the medical diagnosis helps you when you go into a school system, if you already have a medical diagnosis, Um, of course, they have to, they have to list autism on your IEP, but I didn't know that a medical formal medical diagnosis and a school diagnosis were two separate things. Cause you could still get a fight, whether you're getting autism on your IEP, if, even yep. if you have a medical diagnosis, which I can't is believe absolute, there's a difference. It's a mind blowing to me that, that like, I mean, it is well, mind blowing. Like, yeah, there shouldn't be. Have I agree. There yeah. shouldn't be a difference. It should be very, yeah, like, it's, oh, it's, yes, it's, very, I, it's wow. I, I really question the ethics of some of our medical professionals who, who really dish them out and, and do it after a 10, 20 minute visit, you know, do it after completing in theory, what should be a full and complete evaluation that's done in an hour long visit. Like that's not okay. And it puts us in a, in a really uncomfortable position. Cause like I said, you shouldn't come to school and all of a sudden not have autism. Like it's not, it's not situationally dependent. Well, that's what Jen lives in Canada and, and there you get a diagnosis and that's it. 
accounts for school accounts for everything. And I know here in some states, Colorado's not like this as much. Like if you're on like if you're on a state waiver or something like that, mm -hmm. you have to get reevaluated through them, through the government. The, some person that doesn't even know what they're doing, you just have to fill out this yeah. form and you just have to make sure those things line up. But in some states to have your insurance still help you, you have your child has to get reevaluated for autism like every three years or something. Like it doesn't Arizona. go away. You yeah. No, oh, yeah. Funny story. Yeah. Not going to outgrow it. Arizona has the three years uh, requirement. It's not a medical evaluation, but you get assessed by someone from the state, whether you're still autistic or not three years later. Mm. As we I all will know. say for me, I wish I did preschool. I have, uh, I have clinically diagnosed OCD. I didn't want anyone or my daughter to touch anything. I did not send her to preschool. That was my main reason. Uh, but now looking back, it would have been so beneficial for her mm -hmm. because I didn't actually, I mean, I was in delusional la la hopeful land until kindergarten when there was no denying side by side on a peer. I mean, that was pretty shattering to see, mm -hmm. you know, the differences. So had we've done the preschool, mm -hmm. we all, it would have, everyone would have been exposed to that earlier. So I think that that would have been extremely helpful, but mm -hmm. It's so one benefit I see, I, I think I wrote this in, in my form to kind of talk about like Colorado just passed universal preschool and in three to five years, I think I'm going to feel a lot better about it, <laughs> but it's currently a bit of a mess. Um, they, we, unfortunately, just due to politics, it got kind of pushed through pretty quickly and it's a system that's, you know, fully electronic and we uh, have a district with an incredibly wide range of socioeconomic status and close to 200 languages spoken. Like there's just a lot of barriers for our families, but I think that's, that's what we need is that, you know, every four-year-old, you know, you're told by whoever you come in contact with, whether it's your doctor, your daycare provider, whoever we're hoping is, is saying to families, hey, you can get 15 hours of free preschool a week just by going on this website. And I think we're going to pull in so many more families that, that wouldn't have known, that would have just thought, oh, I'm just going to go to kindergarten and it's fine. And, and especially because it's free because childcare is outrageous. I can tell you it was not free for me. But the other thing I will say about um, sending my daughter to preschool, other than the whole germ thing, was safety. I okay. knew that I could not send her to a typical daycare mm -hmm. um, and hope that she didn't get out the door kind of thing. So okay. I think that that's also a bit of a barrier. It's a huge barrier. Oh, totally. And I think, right. I mean, that's the kind of conversation you know, I definitely spent when I was on child find, you know, we would and then that's the kind of questions I hope that parents would ask me, like, what yeah. happens if they run out of the room? Like, let me tell you, we've got six staff members. We've got walking. Like, I would give them the full situation of it because you don't think that anybody can can do that. And, and to all yeah. of us, it's like, oh, yeah, come join the party. There's five of them. Like, it's unbothersome to us. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, and I think part of it, too, with, with public education is that um, that feels different than daycare or a therapy center is that there's a closed door in, mm -hmm. in education for parents. I mean, there's a, it's a completely different feel, even in preschool yeah. that you, you don't know what's happening in the classroom mm -hmm. unless you're like mm -hmm. pressing and asking. And I will say preschool for both of my kids, developmental preschool is the first time that I felt like we weren't getting a bunch of no's or that my kids didn't necessarily fit into the, the program. Mm -hmm. um, we were getting a lot of yeses or here's all the things that are happening. Here's all the progression, mm -hmm. um, even for our daughter who's nonverbal. So, but it does, it does have a different feel where you don't know what's happening and it's terrifying. It oh. is terrifying. <laughs> well, and that's like wafted out of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Yep. I remember, yeah. Because it was like, I already don't know what's happening. And then we were going into with a new um, special education teacher who he still has, and she's wonderful, but I was like, I'm not, 
I did not feel comfortable. But on the other side of that, it's like usually we send our kids to daycare or another place and you have to be so involved because they don't have a team there. And so sending them to school with a team. And this is what I want to talk about too. So I went, I went to elementary school in the same district. I was in special education because I have a reading disability and it's so different from when I was a kid. So talking a little bit more about that, like the difference now in what, you know, especially like we didn't even have preschool when I was Mm -mm. to like a city preschool and stuff like that, which I did. And then kindergarten, which was half days. We just miss my daughter's just going on to kindergarten. So we just missed this universal preschool thing. And I'm kind of glad because same. It looks like a mess and I wouldn't want her to go to preschool all day, but I know some kids do need that. And it is great that it's more accessible because I used to nanny a kid in a neighboring district that did that. And he went to all day preschool and it was great for him. But what is it like when a kid goes into preschool? What's a team look like? Like, let's say an autistic kid, we can talk about Jesse, like he goes into preschool for the first time. What would the typical team be surrounding him? So it depends on what's identified in the IEP, but, um, our classrooms are stacked with a facilitator and a paraeducator who are classified employees that are in the classroom at all times. Um, it would be someone like myself as a special education teacher, usually a speech therapist, an occupational therapist, a mental health provider, which could be a school psychologist or a school social worker. Um, and then depending, you know, we have PT as well. We have services for hearing and vision and all those things as well. We also utilize what we call significant support paras who are our special education paras who support just our students with special needs, especially in the, the type of school that Jesse went to, which was our one of our child development centers where the whole building is just preschool. In our elementary sites, we don't have that type of support and our support is more itinerant based, like we kind of float around. But typically when students are coming from Child Find, we can we kind of get a gauge. Um, that team usually writes a little narrative to let us know kind of the level of need for the student and that bases their placement. So like Jesse's placement was in that child development center to then have access to that full-time special education staff. But I can tell you that, you know, his teacher and I met before he started, we reviewed his IEP, um, talked about just sort of the basic things that were going to be set up in the classroom. And for my own self as a special education teacher, when I had a new student, it's my face in front of them that first day, week, however long it takes um, to get them settled. Um, It looks like getting a feel for them. Sometimes, you know, kids who haven't been in school yet, you're not going to throw a whole bunch of supports at them. You're going to kind of let them land in the room. And with a half day program, you kind of just kind of go through the routine, let them figure it out, and then kind of start adding in those accommodations and supports as needed. And then it's kind of just about that teaming and providing that support as needed. You know, there were time big chunks of the day, especially towards the end of my time with Jesse, where he didn't meet any of us. And it was like, well, leave him be. His teachers have got this. He could be with his friends. And then there were targeted times when we knew that he needed support or knew that we needed to push him to work on his goals. I run a daycare, like a, just a regular daycare. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it's like, we're not allowed to say anything to the parents. Like it's like against the regulations, like, because we're not qualified yeah. educationally, right. To like say, oh, we think your child has autism or yep. we think your child may have ADHD. Um, and it's like really frustrating because it's like, as a mom to a somebody with autism. I mean, she's 27. So I've been in this world for a long time. Um, I obviously have a big awareness of it. And one time early intervention was there and I was like, yeah, they're like, have you brought it up? I'm like, no, we're not allowed to have you. And she goes, no, I'm not allowed to. And I'm like, well, who is supposed to tell these parents? Because these, I just had a a family who's working with early intervention and they're kind of like pushing this mother to get this child evaluated and she wanted a meeting she wanted us to kind of come in and like 
she was very jawed by the scores, you know, those low scores that you see in writing and kind of wanted us to, I think, counteract with the early intervention person was saying, Mm -hmm. because, you know, everybody's telling them, oh, he's just a late talker. He's just this, he's just that, you know, and because she directly brought it up and directly asked, I was like, okay, like, this is not a professional opinion, but from my personal experience, you know, I can tell you X, Y, and Z. And I really think it was hard for the mom, but I think like it really ended up helping her because it's like, she's living in this gray area of like people Mm -hmm. telling her that everything's fine, which she wants to believe they want to believe it. So it's like, then they just take the ball and like hold it here because they're like, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like autism is such a scary word. And like, I was like, autism doesn't fit in a box. It's not necessarily like what you're Googling, what you're seeing may not match up to your son because he's an individual person, you know? So I feel like they'll you know, we'll be like, well, my kid's social, they can't have autism, or my kid is whatever, verbal, or like whatever it is, because it's like, it goes against that one thing. It's just so frustrating, because it's like, well, these first-time parents, they don't know. And where we live, I live in Massachusetts, so in in the particular town that I live in, the school district's not great about, like, getting kids into, like, the developmental preschool and all that. If they're, like, on the more severe side, yes, but, like, when you're, like, in that middle grade where I feel like those kids could really get helped really the most because, you know, they have these challenges and and things like that, where like, it's really hard for us to support them in a daycare setting, Mm -hmm. but they're almost like not significantly delayed enough for the school system to qualify them. So it's like, there's all these kids that I feel like, and I feel like it's more and more and more. Mm -hmm. There's more and more and more now. Like, like I can like seeing it, not by people like saying it, it's like, you know, I mean, there's, two two or three kids in each classroom now like we're like 10 years ago I, I didn't see it and I knew about it then because my daughter was 27 so like you know we're just really seeing so much and not necessarily autism per se it could be even like ADHD or just you know um different things like that but yeah it's like well we see these kids every day we have nine two-year-olds every day when that one two-year-old is acting so different from everybody else we can tell, we know the difference between like, like this little boy runs, he runs back and forth as a STEM. But like in the parents are going, well, all kids run around. Yep, you're right, they do run, you know, but they're like feeding off of each other and doing it kind of for a reason where like his reason, I can can tell it's self-regulation. They don't understand that because they haven't like been immersed in this world yet. And then, like you said, there's two year waiting lists. Mm -hmm. So now you wait till they're three, I feel like three is like the time when now people are like, okay, they're still not talking now. They yeah, start getting like, well, yeah, you've now you've missed early intervention. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I just, I find it so frustrating that there's, there's just like all these rules and all these gray areas and all these kids that are just like, you know, it's supposed to be no child left behind. But like, from what I see, there's so many kids that don't get like the help and, until, and then the school gets them at five and they're like, Oh, what's going on? I think for our district, we struggled a lot because, you know, we'd get families in, especially when I was in Charleston and, and we'd say, yeah, like your, your student needs these supports. This is this IEP. We can offer you half day, four day week preschool. And parents are like, no, I need full-time care. And so we lose a lot of kids from that. So that's, I guess one bright spot about university preschool and, and being able to offer that full day because it's it's a factor, you know, all four-year-olds get 15 hours, but with an IEP, you get 30 and it's all free. So I think that that part awesome. will, will hopefully provide a little bit Incredible. more um, participation well, for our families. 
and I've seen that like so we have you know the more severe children can get the full school day which would be like the 9 to 2 30 or whatever the other kids either get like the 9 to 11 30 or like the 12 to 2 30 and how can you do that when you're working you can't uh, I for some people my own child yep some yeah, people it's, it's not a choice right because well, if you're if you're a single mom and you're the only one working mm-hmm. yeah. then you have to choose between like giving your child <laughs> services or like putting a roof over your head or food on the table like that's just a terrible position for people to be put in and like you said a lot of people end up you know just going I mean I can't do this how can you do this when you're you know if you're working 60 Mm -hmm. minutes away or whatever it is um and if the daycare is able to keep them like if they see that it's like well they're able to stay at daycare so why would they need this preschool support it's a really hard transition you get around transportation now so like they used to provide transportation to Mm -hmm. anybody who was part of like the special needs um, preschool and stuff like that. And now they're like finding loopholes that it's like, oh no, there has to be a reason to give them transportation. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, so like money. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wait. So they could mm-hmm. get they could get picked up from daycare and brought back, which I mean isn't really honestly the best case scenario for the daycare, especially if they're like getting sent back in the afternoon. But um now that that option's taken away too. So it's yeah, it's yeah, my two kids, we have four pickup and drop off times every day. Four. Eight fifteen, nine o'clock, eleven thirty, two thirty, or one thirty if it's early out on Wednesdays. Depends <laughs> like, on a job that works around that. Yeah. It is a it is massively hard. <laughs> and you do have to make those choices because then you have to add in speech therapy, OT. Um, any other services and if you're lucky some kind of fun activity that you want your kids to participate in if possible it it's just complete madness to juggle the schedule it really is it it, for me I have two autistic kiddos so if both of them are in speech and OT that's four appointments a week at different times in the middle of the day and then whatever else you know it is it's mind-blowing for that amount of time and we do it because you know I think this developmental preschool program is the best suited for my daughter like I couldn't send her anywhere else there's no other options here in this town for to send her but it is incredibly hard to try and work and juggle all that yeah I think about that a lot too I mean that's why I don't work I mean really even for both my kids but Jesse there was like no way I could send him to a daycare that would take him like they're allowed to flat out refuse yeah and at the same time I wouldn't want him to send him to a daycare if they weren't equipped to exactly we didn't have her diagnosis when Celie was in daycare and she left like walked out and came to my work (laughs) (laughs) of course she did jesse's i don't katie i don't know if you still had jesse at this point because it was his second year of preschool he escaped the school by joining another class and walking out with them to preschool like he was a little close. <laughs> I definitely heard about that. I feel like that was after I rage quit that building. Well, I'm pretty sure because a lot changed. But um, he was, he went and just played out there, but it was just funny. Like, I was like, oh, when I went to pick him up and no one told me until, I mean, his teacher was, mm-hmm. I had a really great teacher that second year. Um, and she told me immediately and she felt so bad. And she's like, there's, She's like, I'm getting a report written up about me because of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. But she's like, no, I deserve it. Like, I was like, I was like, he's just a clever little guy. He figured out he just joined another class. Then I get a longer recess. This is great. Yeah. I love him for that. 
what would be your advice to parents who are like concerned about sending their ch child off to preschool at two or three when, you know, mentally they're probably ready for four or even, you know, when we were kids, you could skip preschool. You can't really mm -hmm. do no. kindergarten's insane people. It um, is. <laughs> I think that's really it. Like the, the expectations have just dropped down. Like, you know, what was expected of, of first grade is not expected in kinder, even probably earlier. Like it's wild to think about, like, I mean, we both attended the same, the same district growing up from around the same age. And, and I remember being in, in the half day kindergarten and and I also remember like all through my schooling that like you didn't see any children that no. were different. I mean, any kind of disability was in a separate program. I remember I shared a recess in like first and second grade with that class and I made like a really great friend. And I remember falling off of the playground with a little girl with cerebral palsy and cracking my wrist because we fell off the playground together trying to help her. But it's like, that's the only times you saw them. So I think like, again, going back to like just needing to have that inclusion, but I think my biggest advice for parents is ask every question that you have. You are not inconveniencing us. You are not bothering us. You need to have that for your peace of mind, especially when you have a child who cannot tell you how their day went. I mean, I even think about, again, my five-year-old, typically developing, whatever that means, she doesn't even really tell me. <laughs> like, And I'm asking all the questions and she is beyond verbal. So it's like, just know that you're not bothering us. If someone acts like you're bothering them, find someone else to talk to. Like, you deserve to have your questions answered and you deserve to feel like your child is safe. And, and we should be able to, to give you that peace of mind. We should be able to tell you exactly what would happen or will happen for your child. Ask all the questions and just send them. <laughs> like the worst thing that happens is that you don't like it or they don't like it and you, and you tried, you know, but I think that for a lot of families, I've given that advice of like, give it a month, try it. They don't leave. They end up staying. Yeah. But I think it, it's just, it's those nerves. I mean, like I said, I, I, I was terrified for my very typical child to go to the preschool down the street because you just don't know. Yeah. Scared for all parents. And especially, I mean, I, my biggest fear was something happening to Jess because Jess, there was no communication at that yep. age. There's no way he would have told me if anything happened. Like, <laughs> it's even hard to remember back to that. Like, we have very little like communication now, but if he's hurt, he can tell me. He often tells me he doesn't like people at school and stuff like that. But I think that now it's more manipulative because he just doesn't like school and he's just trying to get out of it and therapies too. He'll be like, oh, I don't like that person, but nothing. And I think, I don't know if it was you or another friend of mine who's a special teacher taught me about the back and forth book and I'm huge oh, on yeah. and like pushing for communication right away. And I a little spiral notebook. Yeah. Would you like me to pull out my service box for Jesse? This is dated 2018, 2019. I can pull it out tell you exactly what I did for him <laughs> you can buy Jamie Ramos's communication book on Amazon I, I know I send them to <laughs> teachers all the time but really pushing for and then I get a lot of people like oh the teachers just won't do it and I'm like put it in their IEP exactly yeah and I remember his one of his preschool teachers like won it right in there and it was always the you know like a mm -hmm. speech therapist for you or someone else but like you said if someone's not being communicated with you like sometimes it's been like this last couple of years Jesse has a very nice speech therapist who is a little overzealous, but she oh, wants yep. everything that's going on and what's, and, and in some ways I'm like, oh, this is a lot, but other ways I'm like, you know what, this lady is dependable and I can, I know I can talk to her about things and she's not there all the time and you know, stuff like that. But I know like she's really open to communication. So I lean into that and the people that aren't as open to me, it's like, if you're not going to fill out my book, I'll email you. <laughs> like I will get information because I think that was the scariest part for me was the lack of communication for my son. Um, the elopement was scary, but he actually wasn't as bad at school. It was, that was just for me, I guess, with eloping. Yeah, I never, 
but he wasn't as bad with that. So like, that was nice to find out though, immediately. Like he's not trying to escape the room. Like you thought he would. I'm like, great. But I had no clue what was happening during his day at all. I, and especially like, especially that first year. Yeah. Like I didn't know if he was going to the bathroom because he would just mm-hmm. hold it. I mean, he was a sale of diapers at that point, but he would just hold it all day till he came home mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and I'm like, can you guys just tell me what's happening? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think like getting over that stuff and really going in, like, I always say go in positive, but go in knowing what you want. And then you'll learn what you need and more, want more and more as you go. Mm-hmm. Like things, obviously, if this is your first time, your kid's away from you, you're going to figure out like, oh, I really would not like him to be eating fruit snacks as a reward every day. Can we not do that? Like can we not having that line open? <laughs> to wean a lot of kids off of skittles over this four week well now i want fruit snacks so thank you very much oh crack addicts they're all just on their device like candy 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 candy. no preschooler the skittles i'm like why is it like little tiny people like the least healthiest candy i'm like we they're like buzzing the rest of the session i'm like no thank you that went straight into you oh god yeah well i think too like a, a a piece of this sport I mean, Colorado, and I'm sure it's other places, is the teaching shortage. It's so important that you are really requesting those meetings, having those conversations with teachers, because like we are incredibly short-staffed and it's awful and we are spread far thinner than we should be, especially in special education. So just having your voice heard and, and giving like, you want all of these things, but what's your bare minimum? Like at a bare minimum, I expect this every day. Like I would love to have conversations more that look like this, but really like having that conversation and thinking about that for yourself of like, what is, what can I accept? Because it is going to be really, really hard. And frankly, like we're hiring whoever we can find, which isn't always the most qualified. That, that, that happened here in the, <laughs> for yeah. a while. We're really short. Like I'm, I'm looking for six or seven special education teachers right now, just for preschool. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, but to extend, it means that I can go back and get away from some of these adults. (laughs) And that's what I've told like his teachers before. I'm like, I'm going to really bug you at the beginning. But once we get to know each other, like his amazing autism teacher right now, because Jesse's, Colorado is really great. And I'm really grateful for the like, and also in our district, like going into kindergarten, like there's a whole autism program and they like this every, like talking about the inclusion piece, like. I grew up that way. I grew up with a reading disability. So I was like one of the few kids who sometimes went to special ed and sometimes in the classroom. So I was like one of those kids that saw everybody, but then it took me time to realize that not everyone else saw that. And, and here it's like really cool. He's in a program where like they work him into the school. Other kids know about him and they teach about autism, not as much as I would like, but they do like, they do try in certain ways. And like they had a school dance and we asked that they had like a, a room open for him where he could take a break so that we could attend the dance and try it and different stuff like that. So I'm really grateful, but I know it's really tough in other places. And I know Colorado is like an exception to a lot of, a lot of things. And I think like just you as the parent being as involved as you can, which I know is really hard and not the simplest thing to do, but it's like getting in there as much as you can, because there are certain things they can't tell you. They're not going to let you sit in the classroom. Oh, no, and that is not of any benefit to your child. Also, it's, please leave when they're crying at drop off. Please leave. To lean into that, like if you build really? trust right off the start. I second that. <laughs> if you build that trust right off the start with the team 
and even, you know, we, we've had people that we've had bumpy roads with, and then it's ended up being like, okay, at least we understand, like, this is just what I want. This is what you want. But then you feel more comfortable sending your kid. And like I say before, his teacher now, you know, she makes sure she talks to me every day after school. <laughs> and it's gotten to the point some days where she's like running around, there's another kid eloping or someone having a meltdown. And I'm like, girl, you don't have to talk to me. But she knows that I want that communication. And she always thanks me because she says a lot of parents don't do this. And, and like you talked about in our district, it's very diverse. Some of these people, English is not their first language. Exactly. I was going to say they can't. They need, yeah. they need you to meet them on their level. And there are really cool apps now that legit like mm-hmm. translate mm-hmm. the teacher, which is pretty cool. Yep. That was probably like the one good thing that came out of COVID for me was the use of Google Translate. And I would just constantly, I would just send a quick email that was like, hey, this is what we did today. This is how it went. And it increased my parent communication like tenfold. It was amazing. Well, I was shocked. And even in Jesse's preschool by the lack of communication from the typical teacher. Like I remember when I was in preschool, you got sent home with like a little paper every day and like you circled the green face if you did well. They do nothing. And that was hard for me as well. And that's why I was great. Like some ways with my daughter, same thing. We don't get much communication from her. I was like, I'm really grateful my son has an IEP in a lot of ways because we know so much more about his education than a lot of these other kids are being told. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming You're on. You're awesome. Yeah. Well, Happy to. And I know it's the end of summer school for you. It's insane. But you <laughs> 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 really long now. <laughs> Thank so you long. for all you do, especially for Jamie and her sweet guy. Oh, he was my fave. She knows when I had to rage quit that school, I sent her a text message and I was like, it's really inappropriate that I'm texting you, but you have to know that I'm leaving. Like, but I thought about staying just so I could keep him. I know. I was like, where are you going? Because I would, I almost would have fallen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I tried. Well, if you ever feel, I know you don't do over five, but if you ever no. feel there's an opening. I'll hang out with him. He's nice. He can be my exception to my role. Well, and like the like potty stuff and stuff like that, you usually have to deal with with the younger ages. There's stuff when they're older too and it's oh, almost God, yes. they're not cute to make up they're not like I know they're not nice like I still get like compliments about like my earrings and my shoes and like people are like I like your hair I'm like I, I say I want that I don't mm-mm. Oh, that's oh, go up in like a fifth grade where it like smells and they're all cussing and yelling at each other I'm like no I don't want to be here yeah yeah, yeah. thank you so much have a great next year school year yes thank you <laughs> It was lovely to meet all of you. Yes, it was great to meet you too. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of the Table for Five No Reservations podcast. Big thank you to all of our supporters. If you would like to become a supporter, please check out the description of this episode where you will also find episode information, how to sign up for our newsletter, and find links to us individually. Join us next Monday for more. And while you wait, check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen. To contact us, you can email us at tableforfivepodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Can't wait to sit with you again.